I kind of feel like I wanted to come up here and have a little bit of a dance step. But. So we've been looking at this, uh, this series uh, with the idea that your past regrets don't necessarily have to define you. And we, we looked at the fact, the first week, we looked at the fact that it doesn't, our regrets don't have to define us because God has freed us from those. When we place our faith in Christ, when we receive God's salvation, which also is, and again, we've talked about this a lot, but when we receive his salvation, his forgiveness of our sins, and we're adopted into God's family, God says that he removes our sin, he, forg- he forgives our sin, he moves it as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't use it against us from that point forward. And we also learned last week that once we make that decision and, and follow Christ and come into a relationship with him, that we can live free of our past regrets if we allow God to renew our minds and transform our lives. And we talked about that last week, what that looks like. That you know, God renews our minds. He changes the way we think when, we're, when we spend time in his word, the Bible, and we read it and we study it, and we understand what he's saying, then we begin to think differently, and then he empowers us and gives us the ability to respond differently. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to close out the series looking at the fact that our regrets don't have to define us because God can take good from our regrets. God can take good, use our past experiences, whether it's you know, decisions that we've made that were sinful in those consequences, or maybe just some unwise choice that we've made that the consequences have been something that we're stuck with or thinking about it all the time, or just uh, consequences of circumstances beyond our control. And I think we all have one or more of those in our lives that we're constantly coming back to our minds. And some people get locked into thinking about that and, and can't seem to free themselves from it. So God's freed us. God allows us to continue to live free of it, and then God wants to use it for good. So turn in Romans chapter 8. Paul wrote a letter to Christians in the city of Rome uh, back several years after Jesus Christ went back to heaven. It's page 1132 if you're going to use the uh, Bible there in the seat around you. Um, the black Bible there. Last June, we took four weeks and we went through this entire chapter. Uh, and it's got some really good stuff. It probably could have taken a lot longer than just four weeks. But it's got some really good stuff in there about what it means about God the Son um, saving us from our sins and God the Holy Spirit uh, adopting us into God's family and empowering us to be able to live this life that God wants us to live and talks about in this chapter about suffering and how we can look at suffering in our lives and see what God wants to do in and through suffering. Uh, today, we want to look at um, two promises that God gives us, and then there's also two conditions for those promises. But we want to look at two promises that God gives to us. Uh, again, out of Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 28. And just uh, spend 28, 29, and 30, okay? So there's two promises, there's two conditions. See if you can find those in here. I've I've, uh, 
bolded some of the words to kind of make it easier for you. I'm not that difficult. You know, if I was a teacher, I'd be really easy on everybody. Okay, so, but see if you can see what the two promises are and then the, what the two conditions are, and then we'll break it down as, as we go. <clears throat> so God had Paul tell us this. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's some big theological words, $25, $35 words up in there. Okay, So we're not going to spend time defining some of those things. Uh, we've done some of that in the past, and Thursday nights, especially the guys, we're going through the book of Ephesians prior to teaching in Ephesians, and so we're dealing with some of these um, to understand what they are. We're not going to spend time with them this morning, <clears throat> but um, we're going to really kind of focus in on these bolded words. So God makes two promises to us. Now, side note, these promises are made to Christians. <clears throat> So, as you're sitting here this morning, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, uh, these promises are not made to you, but they can be for you if you were to choose to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and have all these incredible things that God wants to be able to do in and through you. Um, but these are, these are made to Christians, those that have placed their faith in Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, number one, the context those big theological words that we just got done reading, the foreknew and the predestined and the justified and all that kind of stuff, all those words refer to this thing called salvation. This thing that happens when we say, okay, God, I know I've sinned against you, I'm separated from you, and I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I ask you to forgive me my sins, and I'm placing my faith in Christ, that his death on the cross took my place. So all that stuff that we read about are parts and pieces of what that is, different ways to illustrate what, those, what that is. Also, kind of a cool thing, in verse 30 and verse 28, uh, and I'm going in, in order of impact or order of uh, the process in our lives. In verse 30, the word called is a different Greek word than the verse in verse 28, so which is kind of interesting. Um, we read it as, well, called. Right? And we kind of think of call, like, hey, come here, or hey, you know, whatever. But the called in verse 30, so the second call, is kaleo, which means to get one's attention. It's, hey, yo, over here, someone who you don't know, you're going to try to get their attention. So, hey, yo, over here. It is referring to that initial call in our lives to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. So, so for some of you, if you don't know the Lord, I just shared with you how you could know Christ personally, and if you've never heard that before, that in effect was God's call for you to enter a relationship with Him. Now, if you've heard it before and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, God continues to do that in your life until you do. He's not going to force Himself on you because He loves you, but He's going to continue calling you. Okay, And so that's what that's talking about. So the first one is this initial, hey, come into a relationship with me. And then the second one which is actually the first one that we read, 
is klatas, which is an invitation or being appointed to something. So it's, inv- it's inviting or appointing Christians to be a part of what God is doing in their life. So it's God saying, hey, since you're in a relationship with me now, here's what we're going to do, and I want you to join me in this. This is what you've been appointed to do. Okay, does that make sense? You, you following me? You tracking with me? So we know this is for, for Christians. So a person must accept Christ first, accept, answer that call, and then there is the understanding based on Scripture as a whole, but Romans chapter 8, that once you're in that relationship, and Romans 8 talks about the fact that we've been adopted into God's family, so therefore we're a child of God, and like any obedient, good child wants to obey their parent and, and please their parent, we want to do that with God the Father. And so he calls us or appoints us or says, hey, this is what your life is going to be from this point forward. Okay? We, we've, we've got to get this as Christians. Because, I'll, and we're going to talk more about this in a little bit, but too often we, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior because we don't want to go to hell. But we also have to understand, that's, that's fine, but we also have to understand that when we do that, now we become a child of God, and now He's going to be doing some stuff in our life um, to change us, to make us look different, to make us think different, so that we look like part of His family. And I think sometimes for Christians, we, we, we don't quite get that, and so we kind of fight back. God will allow things into our lives, and um, we'll, we'll fight with Him over these things. And so we have to remember, God wants to do some stuff in our lives now that we're one of His children. And again, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So, what are the promises? The first one, first promise from God is, God causes all things to work together for good. How many of you guys saw that right off the bat and said, yep, that's a promise? Okay, six of you. No, more, more of you. Everyone's else. I know, oh, your hand's going up. Yeah, I did. So, God causes. Now, just think about, just let that kind of simmer, you know, let that kind of sit in your head. Think about your life. Think about everything that's gone on in your life. Think about your regret that you hang on to or regrets that you're hanging on to or just, you know, just whatever has gone on in your life. Think about what's going on in your life now. Think about what could possibly go on in your life in the future. That's all part of the all things. So just think about this. If you place your faith in Christ, if you're a child of God, this is a promise that God makes to you. If you're not, this is a promise that God will make to you if you put your faith in Christ. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, notice, he doesn't say, God causes all things to work out uh, equally. Or God causes all things to work out um, fairly. Or God causes all things to work out so that I get some sort of financial gain out of it. Or something good um, happens to me. I get something good physically from it. It's, it's not going to be easy. He doesn't say God works all things together so that it's easy or that it's comfortable. He's saying He works everything together for good. Now, what's this mean? Now, words mean things, and so God uses, uses in the original 
writing of Scripture, Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew and Greek are pretty specific um, languages. So, we said called before. We use one word called. Greek uses two different words. Same thing here. This word, good, I'm giving you guys a little bit of a Greek lesson. I thought I'd just kind of do a little, something a little different this morning and give you some Greek lessons. It's, it's in your notes um, as well. So, um, agathos, and it's something that's beneficial for my inner or spiritual life. So God's going to cause all the stuff in my life, past, present, and future, for something good within me. How do I know that? Well, number one, the word means that. Number two, if he wanted to say I was going to get something good, like money, from it, you know, something like that, he would have used this word. Nope, go back. Did I not have it out there? I'm sorry, sure. I messed you up. So he would have used this word, uh, kalos, which is external. It has value uh, in appearance or use. So uh, this is how I thought I would explain this. Uh, if I had a hammer, my background's carpentry, so my mind always goes to carpentry and building things. If I had a hammer, that hammer would be good for hammering in nails. That's kalos. It's good, it's, it's beneficial for doing something externally from me. Me pounding in nails, working, is agathos. It's internally good for me. Work is good for us as opposed to being lazy. Lazy is not a good thing. So the act of working is an intrinsic has intrinsic value to me, where the hammer has an external value to me. Does that make sense? Okay, so what God's saying here is, I'm going to work everything out for what's good for you inside, what's good for you in an inter- your internal uh, being, your spiritual life. So God promises to work all my past, present, and future choices, consequences, circumstances, relationships, everything, into something that's going to be beneficial for my spiritual life, for your spiritual life. But beneficial in what sense? Promise number two. God will conform you, conform me, to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, important words. Conform is somorphous, which is pretty cool. It means jointly formed or look similar. Okay? So he's going he's gonna to work, he's going to conform us. So it's like taking... Um, you know, a sculptor takes a chunk of rock or whatever, and he starts conforming it to an image, something he wants us to see. Icon is our word icon, all right? So it's a likeness, a statue, or a resemblance. And so God's second promise to us is that he's going to use everything in our past, everything in our present, everything in our future to form us into people who resemble Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Nothing's wasted. Everything in our lives He wants to use to conform us. That word means to change us. He wants to conform us. So, I was thinking about this this week. So let me just kind of run this past you. Uh, it's kind of maybe an illustration or help. So in Genesis chapter 1, go all the way back to the beginning, God creates man... And he creates man in his image. 
with personality, the ability to think, to communicate, to have emotions, to choose, to um, build. You know, we're like God that way. We can do those things. We're not God, but we're like Him. And He breathed into Adam and Eve the breath of life, which means they had a spiritual. They were spiritually alive, so they could have interaction with God. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decide, you know, actually, we would rather be the God of our lives. We think we know better than God how we should do life, and so we're going to go ahead and disobey Him and do what He's told us not to do because we think we know better. We think He's holding out on us. So they disobey God, and, the, and Scripture tells us that they, they died, which means physically they were going to die, but they died spiritually. They lost that ability to have that intimacy with God because they were no longer perfect. That imperfection, that sin, that depravity, as the Bible calls it, uh, flows all the way down to us. It's in our spiritual genes. Romans 8, specifically, since we're talking about it this morning, God then, at salvation, God then breathes back into us, God the Holy Spirit, who gives us spiritual life again, and then He's going to reform us to look like God, the Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we're not going to be perfect. We don't get that until we get to heaven. But we can begin to move in that direction. We can begin to be like Adam and Eve were prior to them sinning in the sense that we are now spiritually alive. We have a relationship with God. We can communicate with God. God can communicate with us through His Word and the Holy Spirit. And then we become more like Christ. So he's conforming us into people who are going to think and respond like Jesus to our past, present, and future circumstances, decisions, people, whatever we find ourselves in. Now before we move on to the conditions, I wanted to take a a moment and a little bit of a um, uh, side note here, a little bit of a tangent, a rabbit trail, what do you want to call it? I want to quickly give a summary of what it means to look like Jesus. I think that's probably important at this point. And so in John 17, we have Jesus. uh, John 17 is a prayer that Jesus uh, prays to God the Father. And this is just the first few verses. And I've highlighted some things again for you. And he says this. So Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, or he prayed, Father... The hour has come. He's talking about, I'm about to be arrested. I'm going to be put up on a cross. I'm going to die for mankind's sins. And that, that mission that you have for me is going to be accomplished. But look at this, because there's more to it. He says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, as you gave Him authority over all flesh, all mankind, that to all whom you have given me, I may give eternal life. So God's like, here's these people, Jesus said, okay, here's eternal life. Well, what's eternal life? This is eternal life. That they may know you, that know is an intimate personal relationship, the only true God and Jesus Christ. So you can't just know God. You have to know God in Christ. You have to know God through Christ. Whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So, technically... Jesus, God the Son, who became Jesus, put on flesh, became Jesus. Technically, Jesus didn't come to earth to die for our sins, technically speaking. 
He came to earth to glorify God. He came to earth to reveal glory. Glorify means a lot of things. It's a very broad word, believe it or not, for Greek. Um, but it means to, to reveal somebody, to show who somebody is. And so, uh, the fullness of his person, you know, uh, is how the theologians would put it. And so Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh to show us, to glorify God, to show us who God is and how does he think and how does he operate. What's his expectations? That's why he came. So he did, the, he did that. The way he did that was that he obeyed God. And so he did everything that God the Father told him to do. He talks about this earlier in John. His obedience then led him to do what God commanded him to do, and that was to die for mankind's sins. So his desire to glorify God caused him to live an obedient life, and then that obedience caused him to die on the cross. Because he loves God and he loves us. So when, when Paul's telling us that God is going to conform us into the likeness of his son, what he's saying is, he's going to take our past, present, and future, everything that goes on in our lives, okay, and he's going to use those things to help us reveal to other people who God is by us living an obedient life, doing life God's way, which means we're going to have to do a bunch of changing because God knows better than we do how life should be lived. Did anybody listen to Pastor Kevin's sermon from down in Fremont last week? I, I kind of challenged you guys to do that. He talks about the idea of being conformed or converted means change. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll put, we'll, we'll have a, a definition of who God is in our heads. Even if we're Christians, we'll, we'll redefine God to fit us. The problem is, if we're doing that, now we're worshiping an idol. We're worshiping a God that we've created. That's an idol. And so he's really challenging people. You've got to understand the God of the Bible and worship him. So anyways, so we obey, and in our obedience, we're going to sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice the way we think. We're going to sacrifice the way we respond, the choices that we make, so that people can see who God is in our life and be drawn to us so that we can point them to Christ for salvation. That makes sense? You following me? Okay, not too many people are snoozing. That's good. All right. So, God promises to do all these things. Um, and yeah, so I already kind of just already did that lower section there. So, God's conditions. So, salvation is, non, is, is a, an unconditional promise from God. We simply need to just believe it. Okay? So, if there's a condition, it would be that. But, point is, we don't have to do anything, you know, we don't have to do any religious rituals, any good deeds or anything to receive salvation. We just need to trust that what God says is the case, is the case, we go on. But every uh, promise that God gives us after we place our faith in Him has a condition placed on it. Because what God's saying to us is this, the best life that you can live is the life that I'm telling you to live. And if you choose to do that, child of mine. I'm going to give you whatever you need to make that happen. But if you want to disobey me, if you want to do life some other way, I'm not going to give you what you need to continue to disobey me. I'm going to withhold stuff from you until you realize, oh boy, I'm doing this wrong. You need to get back on track. Okay? So there are some conditions 
And if we meet these two conditions, then we can be confident that God's going to follow through with his promises of working all things for good and conforming us into the image of Christ. Okay? So, condition number one, we need to love God. Well, that's easy, right? Don't we all love God? You know, I, I just, I love God. You talk to people, you know, and, and everybody loves God. I mean, all the um, sports guys love God and they give him credit for their athletics. You know, all the people in Hollywood, they love God and they give God credit for their movies, uh, which is interesting. If you watch some of their movies, you're like, what? wait, wait, uh, whatever. Everybody loves God. Or do we not quite understand what love is when we say we love God? And I think that's more of the case. The Greek word used here is agapao. Agape, you've heard of agape love, right? This is the verb. It means self-sacrificing love, which was demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. So if self-sacrificing love, what does that look like? Illustration, Jesus hanging on the cross. Everything leading up to it, and Jesus hanging on the cross. That is self-sacrificing love that God has in his mind when he says, love me. God saying this. I mean, if you guys want to love me that way, that's awesome too. But So it's looking out for the best of someone else, no matter the cost to me. Now this, this is huge stuff. Because in marriages that are falling apart, that's not happening. In relationships with children, children to parents, that's not happening. In, in uh, work situations, in neighborhood situations, and whatever we're having difficulty in when it comes to our relationships, that's not happening. Because most people go like, whoa, 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 wait a second, you're not going to hurt me. And if you try to hurt me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw down on you. And I'm going to give it back. You don't disrespect me. Right? I don't respect them because they don't respect me. Okay, chicken and the egg. Which one comes first? So what comes first is me saying, now I have it easy in my marriage. Kim doesn't have it as easy. But I have it easy in my marriage in the sense that me loving Kim means me um, saying no to something that I want or I think in order for Kim's needs to be met. So it's me, even though I have, I have some homework that I'm doing yesterday and I need to get it done, I, uh, apart for our dryer, which by the way is from hell, this dryer, um, I'm just saying, I think it is, uh, not Whirlpool, <laughs> just saying, um, but this thing, I'm telling you, I cut my hands on it, I mean, I've, I've bled for this dryer, and the part came yesterday. It was supposed to come today. Well, today's Sabbath, <laughs> hello, can't work on Sunday, right? You know what I'm saying? All right. So... Um, so the part comes, and Hagen's like, well, you want me to do it? I'm like, no, no. This is, this is what I need to do because I love Kim. She, needs, she wants that dryer. I said, you know, she hung stuff up down, uh, hung stuff up down in the basement. You know, okay, we got to get this thing done. So I love Kim, so I do that. It costs me, you know, sitting down and doing some more homework and getting things done so I'm not so stressed in my life. But, you know, loving God means to look out for his best no matter what the cost is to us. What's that cost? The cost is me saying, 
you know, God, you know better than I do what I should be doing. You, you know better than I do how I should be doing my marriage, how I should be raising my kids, how my kids, how I should be responding to my parents, how I should be responding at work, how I should be responding to my neighbors, how I should be handling money, how I should, you know, whatever the issue is. It's us saying no to the way we think and yes to the way God thinks. That, that's loving God, sacrificing ourselves to our hurt even, knowing that God's already said, I'm going to work it out for good. I'm going to work it out for your spiritual development. Romans 8 tells us when we think our way, Romans 8, 6, you can look at it later, when we think our way, the fleshly way, we destroy everything. But when we respond God's way, a mind set on the Spirit, as verse 6 says, brings life and peace. And as we bring healing and growth when we think God's way on things. And there's always opportunities in our lives for God to show us where we're not thinking like Him and where we can sacrifice for Him. Because we're not perfect yet. We're not in heaven yet. In fact, next week we're going to start in, in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians, Paul starts out with a bunch of doctrinal stuff, doctrine and theology, and then he ends with a bunch of, here's how life looks differently knowing this stuff about God and who He is and what He's done for us. Chapter 4 through 6, I'll guarantee you when I'm teaching that, I'll be stepping on every one of our toes, including my own. Because in those chapters are different ways where you and I start going, well, you know, God, really? Really? Is that how I'm supposed to? Do I need to watch how I, what type of language I use? Really? Do I got to be careful what kind of jokes I tell? Really? Do, do I... Do I really need to live life um, with no other outside forces changing how I think? I'll let you figure out which one I'm talking about there. Do I really need to love my wife sacrificially? Do I really need to love my husband respectfully? Do I really need to train up my children the way God says to do it? Nurturing them, disciplining them? Do I really need to obey my parents? Do you know my parents? telling you, we're going to be stepping on everybody's toes. Why? Because none of us are perfect. And there's a bunch of changes that need to happen in our lives, and are we willing to sacrifice? Do we truly love God? Because it will impact what we do. Condition number two actually brings us back <laughs> to where we started. The conforming to the image of Christ. Condition number two is be called according to God's purpose. So you're in a relationship with God. He calls you. He appoints you to this purpose. Who is His purpose? His purpose is what? Not rhetorical. Somebody, what? I just want to see how good of a teacher I am. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah, again, full circle. I, I, Literally just said that, people. Come on now, write it down. Get it on your notes. So we accept God's invitation. His purpose is, it's right there, uh, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Bethany, who's a teacher, is down here going, oh my word, people, it's right there in front of you. Yeah, so his, his purpose, to be called according to God's purpose. So do I love God? Am I willing to sacrifice for God 
by allowing Him to change who I am. And if I do, He's going to take everything that's in my life, past, present, and future, He's going to work it for my spiritual growth and actually make me look more like Jesus Christ. Two promises, two conditions. So, try to summarize this. Because sometimes I think you guys, and I get it, I was raised in church, you know, oftentimes as soon as the pastor started going, started talking, I was gone, I was spacing out. But here's the summary. So God is promising to use all things in our life for good, which means to the benefit of our spiritual lives, which is to conform us, change us, to look like Jesus. For that to happen, we must love God by sacrificing our way of thinking and living and live for His purpose, letting Him conform us, change us into the image of Jesus Christ. It all comes back to us living a life that glorifies God through obedience, which then draws people to Christ. That obedience is sacrificing, which draws people to Christ, and then we can help them grow in their faith. Which, by the way, is what Jesus calls us to do before He left earth, go and make disciples. That's a, that's a quicker way of saying it. Go and make disciples. So what do we do with this? What are some things we can do? What's some takeaways as we do every week? First of all, if you're not a Christian, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, these promises are not for you, but they can be for you if you would simply accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now understand, what, what I just got done talking about, what Paul just got done writing, what God had Paul write down, this is from God, it's not just you know, fire insurance. It's not just getting out of hell, you know, free card. It's not monopoly. He's saying you do this, and we talked about this in a previous series that we did when Jesus said, you know, this is what my disciple looks like. Here's one who follows me looks like. And every one of us who place our faith in Christ is a disciple. So you place your faith in Christ. What he wants to do is he wants to take your entire life and he wants to make uh, use it for your good, for your spiritual development and growth, so that as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and know who He is and all that goes on, that you look more and more like Jesus Christ. So if you're like, well, you know, actually I don't want to look like Jesus Christ, then I'll just say to you, don't accept Christ. Okay? Because <laughs> that's, that's what He wants to do. And that's what He will do, by the way. He's 100% committed to our maturity. And so He's going to use whatever it takes to help His children. Just like I would do with my kids. I'll do whatever it takes for my kids to move forward and become the adults that they need to become. And you can ask them. I've probably done it a few times and they don't necessarily like everything that I've done. God's the same way. And it's simply saying to God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. And I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And I'm putting my faith that when Jesus died on the cross, He died on the cross for my sin. He took my place in hell. Please forgive me. I'm trusting in Christ. In Christ alone for my sins, for my forgiveness. In fact, I, in the notes, I've, I've written a little prayer there that you can pray. Uh, and if you do, I'd love to hear. Um, last week, um, our, the first person of 2020 accepted the Lord last week after the service I was talking with her. So, so last year we had 19 or 20 people accept Christ. We got 2020 started off pretty quickly, so it's pretty awesome. 
Um, so feel free to talk with me after the service, even if that's some, a decision you need to make. Secondly, are you struggling with regret? So taking everything that we've done in this series, first of all, you just need to confess that. And as many times as it comes up in your mind, just tell the Lord, forgive me for dwelling on this. Forgive me for dwelling on this. Because eventually it's, God's going to give you some freedom of that. But then you need to evaluate it. You need to look at it and say, okay, so that was something that happened in my past, and this is what's happened. And so let's evaluate. Let's say, okay, well, were there things that I could have done differently? Are there things that I can learn from this? God might be allowing it to come back into your mind because he wants you to learn something from it, that you can make better decisions in the future. Or that you could go, okay, wait a second, so that was the past, and then I've got a friend in my life who's going through the same thing. And so I can kind of say, well, time out. This is what I was doing, just like you're doing now, and this is my life since then. Don't go down that road. And you help people move away from that same decision. So we can, we can let God use it in our lives. And one of the ways we get over it is we see the good that comes out of it, and that is us helping other people work through those things. And so we let God use it. And then three kind of goes with that. So we need to tell, we need to tell our story. You need to tell your story. I'm going to have the band come up on this, but they will close out in a song. But you need to tell your story. Listen, you guys, I've, I talk to Christians all the time who, for whatever reason, um, seem to be embarrassed about what their past was what God saved them out of. Man, don't be embarrassed about what God saved you out of. Because what God wants to do is He wants to take your past, your present and your future, He wants to work it all for good, for you to grow from it, but then for, as you are obedient to God, other people are going to see that, and they're going to be drawn to you, and you're going to be able to say to them, listen, this is what my past was, this is how messed up I was, but God loved me anyways, and Jesus died for me anyways, and now... He's forgiven me and I have a relationship with God. We draw people to Christ from our, through our stories. And all of our stories are different. Which means we can reach different people. And that's awesome. That's what God wants to do with our past. He wants to take it and use it for our good, for our own spiritual development, so we can become more like Christ. But in becoming more like Christ, we mean we reveal who God is through our obedient lives and in, in our obedience, people are drawn to us and we point them to Jesus Christ. That includes our entire story. So let me just offer this to you. We're going to close in a song and um, you know, we'll, go ahead, we'll have you stand. Go ahead and stand. Um, and if during the song you need to you know, do business with God, talk with God about things, and if it's helpful to come forward, you can pray here at the steps. Um, I'm going to be in the back and if you want to come chat with me about these things, feel free to do that. Um, if you want to know who Christ is, and uh, we could talk more about that as well, I'll be back here. Um, so feel free to do that. But otherwise, let's close out our worship service with Dalton and the band. Do you guys all know that Dalton and Zella got married? So I didn't know you guys. So, so boy, did he marry up. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, so.